Oh shit, it's the coin toss. One surprise topic off the rip, two sides of a coin. Tarek, before you call heads or tails, I would like to remind you that in the Bills Chiefs playoff game last weekend, Josh Allen called tails. Oh. What would you like to call? I, dude, it's a shtick. I got to keep to it. I'm calling tails. What is it? It is heads. It. Oh, of course it is. It's yeah, always heads. That makes sense. <laughs> All right. All right, Mitch. I defer. All right, the final four is upon us. The Bengals, the Chiefs, the Rams, the 49ers. So we got a four-sided coin. Tell me which team is going to have the least points scored, Tarek. He deferred. Oh, that's easy. Okay. Uh, The least points scored is going to be the fighting Jimmy G's in the San Francisco 49ers, right? Because, you know, Jimmy G, he makes his hay on making like one really decent clutch throw a game surrounded by like 20 bad throws and 10 amazing rushes by Debo Samuel, right? So that is a recipe to score very few points. Um, And we'll, and I think we're going to talk about this later, but I do not think that the 49ers score very many points. So yeah, 49ers, least amount of points this weekend. All right, Trey, who you got? All right, I'm going to go with uh, Jimmy G and the 49ers. No one said that yet, right? <laughs> do, you, do you want me to come up with another one besides them? I think the Bengals have a shot at being the lowest scoring team. If the Chiefs defense comes to play and sacks Burrow. Yeah, that, that insanely low-powered Bengals well, offense. Well, look, man, the Rams 49ers was a pretty high-scoring game last time, so it's possible, but no. I think I, I don't agree with you. Uh, and if I had to pick between <laughs> Kansas City and the Rams, I would say Kansas City scores more than L.A. does. L.A., while they do look like the better team, I do think they will win that game. They have laid a couple eggs this season. Uh, you know, they're going into the playoffs with five losses on the year. So it's possible they could be the second least scoring offense this weekend. But it's definitely going to be the 49ers. But hey, you know, if the Rams don't score a lot and the 49ers score a little bit more, that means we're going to have Jimmy G in the Super Bowl again. Right? Yes. That's how points work, right? Like wins and losses. If you score more points, you generally win. Dude, right? well, who knows? That's, that's how our fantasy scoring works. No. That's true. Are NFL games, do NFL games work the same way? Yeah. I mean, we all know Trey doesn't watch the games, so. <laughs> I watched more football in the last, like, five days than I have all year. For sure. <laughs> Trey's a busy guy. Let's give him some credit here. That's right. That's well, right. You know, you know what, Mitch? Uh, a team I guarantee you is going to score the least number of points is uh, the Tennessee Titans are going to score zero this weekend. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> That's fair. I deserved that one after my uh, Cowboys shit talking. But don't worry, John. Uh, I guess I'll get after your Bengals this, this week, probably. Joe Burrow, woo! Yeah, John, you can't claim the Chargers anymore since they got eliminated. So now we're all uh, we're all Bengals fans here. Yeah, go Bengals! And Justin Herbert, next year's your year. How great would it have been to have the L.A. Super Bowl, the Rams versus the Chargers? It would have been like this perfect symmetry. Fucking, fucking awful. That would have been great. Yeah. It would have been like the much worse version of that King of the Hill joke, where it's like Houston when Houston got the team, an all Texas Super Bowl. Thy will be done. (laughs) Could you even imagine? What the fuck 
is going on, everyone? Welcome into the Long Game Dynasty podcast, a weekly roundtable discussion about Dynasty fantasy football. I'm your host, Tarek Angry Tibin Shuya. With me, as always, John Alexander, Trey Cryan, and Mitch Yates. As always, as I say, it's very good to have a full house in Woo-hoo. the building. All four of us are here. And Mitch, last week, I kind of introduced you by saying, the the football for wildcard weekend was pretty bad. Um, I th- I don't think we have to make that same concession this week. The divisional round was pretty lit. So what did you think, Mitch? It was, well, after the first day, after my bereavement period, um, <laughs> w- watching the Sunday games was incredible. Some of the best football we've gotten in a very, very long time. Like, non-football fans were coming up to me like, hey, man, did you catch the games? And I'm like, well, well, yeah, that's that's what I do. I, I catch the games, but yeah, I caught those ones. And if you missed them, go back and watch them. That was one of the best weeks of football I've seen. And I think it's pretty much across the board agreed upon there. For sure. Yeah. The divisional round is always great. This year it was particularly great. John, back again. What's going on, man? Oh, hey, it's good to be back. Yeah, I watched a bunch of those football games, too. Uh, lost a lot of sleep. You know, old man John over here goes to bed at nine. But you know what? Those were those are some games that kept the pulse going like and you know, I felt a little bad for Josh Allen, uh, you know, but it's it was it was the game that we deserved. That capped off an amazing weekend. Um, and go Chiefs, man, they look great. They're back. Remember, remember like 10 weeks ago when everyone's like, mm, Patrick Mahomes maybe isn't QB1 anymore. Ha! He's back. It's great. I love it. That was a dumb time. All right, Trey. <laughs> so um, I'm actually just going to kind of turn to you just to go uh, through our intro here um, because some news dropped some pretty important news dropped yesterday about Sean Payton reported that he is retiring after 15 years as the head coach of the New Orleans Saints. Uh, so apparently Kevin James is slated to take over after his role uh, ah. as Sean Payton for that Netflix movie. Ah. But, you know, we'll talk about what that means at a, at a later date, the Kevin James <laughs> offense. But Trey, does this do anything at all for you when it comes to the dynasty value of Saints players? I think it. I think you have to consider this probably isn't good for most of the guys in that offense. Um, I mean, look, by all accounts, uh, Sean Payton wasn't like the best guy, but he had a 15 year remarkable career there in New Orleans and, you know, produced a lot of very, you know, valuable like fantasy offenses uh, in his time there. So, but if you look at what they did last year, I know part of this was because of the quarterback play, but they were extremely run heavy an extremely low passing volume offense Uh, in the six full games that Jameis played. He only had one game out of those six with more than 30 pass attempts. And in the four full games that Taysom Hill played, he only had one game as well over 30 pass attempts the week against Dallas. So essentially, you know, 80% of the games that they're, you know, quote unquote, starting quarterbacks played were like a bottom three rate in the NFL and and passing, which is crazy. So I'm not saying they're going to be above league average next year, but there is definitely some room for the volume in that offense to increase. Uh, I mean, but the question is who in the hell is going to be the starting quarterback there? My guess would be Hill, but you know, who knows? Um, I'm kind of thinking Kamara and Troutman are probably decent values right now. Like they're probably going to be faded over the offense and it'll probably make them decent buys. Uh, Whereas Michael Thomas, I think is definitely leaving in free agency, at least probably leaving. So 
He's not somebody I'm actively targeting. Well, he's he's under contract, you know. Yeah, he, I guess you're. So he would demand a trade, then. I guess yeah. is what I'm, I'm getting at. So I could see that plan out. And um, either way, even if he does stay, I think I'm off of on Michael Thomas. So if you can get an early second for him, I'd go ahead and sell him for that price. So my initial reaction to Sean Payton stepping down was fade all Saints, right? Knee jerk, easy reaction. But the reality is that the team wasn't exactly that great and it wasn't in that great of a spot anyway so a new coach a new system a new change might not be a bad thing either so i think everybody's kind of exactly where they were i i don't think anybody really moves a whole lot now like all respect to what sean payton did in the past like he's definitely a good offensive guy but i think that's kind of old news at this point anyway so i i'm not i'm not budging too much on the saints guys Okay. Yeah. I, I think my concern probably lies the most with Alvin Kamara because while, you know, the quarterback situation around him crumbled, I think Sean Payton was still able to put him in position to succeed as a fantasy player. So while I'm not moving Alvin Kamara in my ranks, um, I'm hoping that, like Trey said, he becomes more of a value because I was already kind of looking at Alvin Kamara as a guy I wanted to target in the offseason. Um, at his current price, I don't know if he falls a couple more spots in the running back rankings, then I think I will be kind of back in. But uh, it ups my level of concern for Kamara a tiny bit. But overall, I think I agree with you, Mitch. Yeah, I, I think with Kamara and Troutman, uh, uh, both you know, they're probably going to turn into decent values as everybody else fades them, but you got to expect low touchdown rates for both of them, you know, without a clear plan at, at quarterback and without knowing like who, how that system is going to look next year. So, um, I would kind of liken my outlook for Camara to what Deandre Swift gave you this year, which was a lot of catches, a lot of yardage, but not a whole lot of touchdowns. Mm, okay. So, I'm a little nervous about the Saints, and I was nervous before the Sean Payton thing, just because they're projected to be $75 million over the cap this year, and that's like totally unhealthy. It makes you wonder, are they going to uh, switch into rebuild mode? And uh, Coach mm. Levin definitely uh, helps that suspicion a little bit. And I agree. I think Alvin Kamara is still an excellent fantasy player, but uh, it's a lot of uncertainty right now. So I'd be apprehensive about buying into any of these Saints players right now. Yeah, I think what the cap situation indicates to me is like maybe what the Patriots did last year, right? They had a pretty inflated cap number and they basically kind of just took a year off with Cam Newton at the helm, right? Yeah. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if they did the same kind of thing and they, you know, had a reset year in terms of the cap. I mean... Mickey Loomis, the GM, uh, and their ownership group has shown that they're willing to kind of kick the can further and further down the road. So I don't know what's going to happen, but I think they could benefit from a reset year when it comes to the cap because they are and that credit card bill is inflated yep, for sure. Definitely. So, yeah, we'll we'll see what happens. I mean, um, I think I agree with Mitch. You don't move the players too much, but also agree with Trey that there's a little bit of heightened concern. OK, so what are we getting into today? We're going to be talking about players that have been making noise in the playoffs. So both the wild card round and the divisional round. So the title of the episode for me is Playoff Vuvuzelas, you know, the uh, the noisemakers from the South African World Cup. Yeah, exactly, John. Thank you. Um, 
So tracking playoff performances for dynasty purposes is interesting because in the short term, they can experience big value swings that you can take advantage of as a dynasty manager. But in the long term, when people are kind of looking back on 2021, playoff performances won't often come up because they don't figure in to those fantasy totals. And maybe they shouldn't. But, you know, uh, a guy like from Twitter, Mike Liu, uh, at Mike Me Up with two Ps on Twitter, he likes to talk about how playoffs can be an important signal into how a team values a player moving forward. I mean, it's money time after all, right? It's the playoffs. So really, uh, kind of like last week, it's another excuse to talk about interesting players. But there's some rhyme and reason here. And a quick disclaimer before we get into it. Um, Odell Beckham, T. Higgins, Devin Singletary, these are guys that have all made noise. But if you want to hear our thoughts on those players, go back to last week's show because we talk about them in detail. So uh, y'all ready to talk about some playoff vuvuzelas? Hell yeah. (laughs) You got to love this timely reference here. uh, A World Cup that happened, what, 12 years ago? Yeah. Hey. 2010. It was a good year. I'm sure that example from Mitch and the early one from John will be very pleasant audio experience for the audience. So definitely not getting cut. Let's kick off this first half. We're going to be talking about three players in the first half, three players in the second half. And the first player we're talking about, I mean, who else would we start with? It's Gabriel Davis. He had two receptions on three targets in the wild card round for 45 yards and a touchdown. That's a very Gabe Davis stat line from the last two years. But then he had the monster, the Leviathan, the Kraken game, 10 targets, eight receptions, 201 yards, and four motherfucking touchdowns. Just a stupid game. Some of it was broken coverage, sure, but some of it was him legitimately burning coverage. It was incredible. So since that game, he has rocketed up the keep trade cut boards to wide receiver 33. That's up more than 50 wide receiver spots from his value floor in October. Davis just finished his second year before turning 23. He had a really nice college production profile, and he picked up some steam last offseason as a popular breakout player, especially before they signed Emmanuel Sanders. His rookie and sophomore stats, Gabe Davis, they're eerily similar. Just over 60 targets, 35 receptions in both, 599 yards in 2020, 549 yards this year, seven touchdowns last year, six touchdowns this year, 10.9% target share in both years. Not great, but John, I'm going to go to you first because you actually bought a Gabe Davis share this week and then sold him to me. So talk to (laughs) us about those trades and where you value Davis in Dynasty and just more generally. Yeah, sure. So a little bit of the context here. I I watched the game like everybody did Sunday night and immediately like in sleeper chats everywhere, Gabe Davis goes on the trade block. And so I'm looking at my roster. I'm like, what can I do? What can I do? I was like, oh, I got Juju. Uh, I want to move Juju. And so at the time, Juju on keep trade cut was valued higher. Uh, And so I just like, what the hell? Why not? I I put out the offer and he he responded the next morning, uh, Juju in a fourth. I'm like, yeah, okay. So I did that. (laughs) No problem. And by then, by then, uh, Gabe Davis had actually moved ahead of Juju on keep trade cut. So uh, right now, uh, it's Gabe Davis ahead of Juju ahead of the 2020 early second. And now I just moved that 2022 early second to uh, you moved it to me for Gabe Davis. So according yeah. to keep trade cut, I went up, then back down. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> so hang on. So you ended up with what pick in the second round? Uh, the third. So 15 okay. overall and super flex. 
and in 2022. Yes, yeah. Yeah. 15 overall, Superflex 2022. And I think all three of those pieces are pretty similarly valued. Uh, Gabe Davis, Juju Shush, uh, Smith-Schuster, and uh, the tw- the early, 2020, uh, early 2022 second. Uh, right now, I think Gabe Davis is like right around wide receiver 36 in my rankings. I think the outlook's pretty good. If you look at who Buffalo has under contract next year, it's Diggs, Beasley, and uh, and Gabriel Davis. So unless they make a move in free agency, it's probably going to be more of the same of what we've seen. So I like the upside, um, but I think that it's probably pretty close between those uh, those three guys, uh, the two guys, and that piece. So it's like, which would you rather have? Would you rather have this huge upside that we saw on Sunday, the uncertainty of where Juju's going to end up, or the 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 piece the pick that's probably going to gain value in the next four months um and ultimately i wasn't going to make the move with you but because of some other moves that happened i went ahead and made the move so i i mean i'm happy and i'm happy you got a you got a piece because you were telling me you really wanted a piece of gabe davis so you got to be happy right yeah i'm happy about it i mean 203 is like the max i would pay for gabe davis and i and i wanted a share so um across my leagues he that's the only share i have now so i was fine paying a high second but mitch what do you think I think you guys have Gabe Davis fever and I had it last year and I'm glad that it's like subsided because here we go again. Uh, Gabe Davis, I think the last thing I said about him on the show was Gabriel Davis sucks and I hate him and (laughs) things haven't changed. Uh, (laughs) No, for real. uh, I was a big. (laughs) Nothing's happened since then. Yeah, no, I, I was a big Gabe Davis fan. I still think he's a really great player. He's an excellent blocker. Uh, And just one of those better players on the field than he is a fantasy player. Like, he put up exactly the same stats as he did last year. And this was... Well, I want to complicate that a little bit. But, but, okay, that's fair. But they weren't great. So I mentioned last uh, offseason, I wasn't afraid of old man Emmanuel Sanders coming in and taking his job. And I probably shouldn't have been from like a talent evaluation standpoint. But the Bills did it anyway, and they they went with Emmanuel Sanders because they're trying to get over the hump. And I can definitely see them trying to get over the hump again with another veteran wide receiver. Um, I, I just, I don't love Gabe Davis as a fantasy player. And so I think seeing him display that, though, uh, in the playoffs is great. But I'd still take a guy like Juju over him because Juju has put up that full season performance in the top mm-hmm. 10 where Gabe Davis has put up a full game here and there. What about the second, yeah. Mitch? Where, where where do you fall on that one? Uh, the second for Gabe Davis, I'm still yeah. taking I'm still taking the second. Um I, okay. I you know, again, I like Gabe Davis, but fantasy-wise, I'm looking a different direction. Okay, Trey. So, I mean, I I said I wanted to complicate what Mitch said about his stats being the same, and that's kind of what I said in the intro. But I think, you know, the blow up game, the recency bias of the blow up game did cause me to kind of dig into his stats a little bit more. And I do like that his yards per route run improved a a pretty good amount. Um, And his snaps actually did go down, right, because of that veteran deference to Emmanuel Sanders. But I don't think that's a dunk on Gabe Davis. I, I think that's probably a dunk on the on the coaching staff in Buffalo, who for a full calendar year played Zach Moss over Devin Singletary and continues to play Cole Beasley over Isaiah McKenzie. I I, I think it's an assumption of rational coaching to think that 
Emmanuel Sanders just beat out Gabe Davis because he was better than him. But I don't know. What do you think, Trey? Yeah, I don't know if it's because he was better, but I mean, for whatever reason, the coaches definitely trusted him more uh, over the course of the season. Now we see when it did get into money time, you know, Gabe Davis was on the field getting the targets in the end zone when it counted, right? So that does... That is a strong signal we should pay attention to. When Manny Sanders got hurt, too, to be fair. Okay, yeah, fair enough. Um, You did mention his uh, nice 1.93 yards per route run. His targets per route run were actually pretty good as well. So while he wasn't getting a ton of volume because he wasn't on the field a lot during the season, when he was on the field, he was getting targets from his quarterback. So, uh, look, I just think that in this sort of range, there's other guys that have a little bit more upside that I feel mm-hmm. a little bit more comfortable betting on than Gabe Davis. Like, could he go and be, uh, you know, a, a top uh, 15 receiver next year? Like, yeah, it's possible. But there's there's other guys in this range, you know, in the low 20s on keep trade cut, or excuse me, the high 20s on keep trade cut. You've got guys like Chase Claypool and Darnell Mooney. And, yeah. you know, Davis is getting up into that range right now. And you could also package him with somebody like Amon Ross St. Brown and get, Devontae Adams, who I think is turning into a really good value for next year. So if you've got Gabe Davis, I wouldn't necessarily move him for a pick. I would try to, you know, go after one of those other receivers in that range. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, to be fair, if I I just traded 203 for Gabe Davis in a super flex league, if I can then go get Darnell Mooney or Chase Claypool or Odell Beckham or even Hunter Renfro, I like those guys more than Gabe Davis. Um, it's just one, I wanted a share of Gabe Davis and two, like two Oh three is still a dart throw. Right. So even uh, though it, uh, in super flex for sure. And at the same time, I want to recognize that two Oh three is going to be a lot more valuable in two months than it is right now. Right. Yeah. So I did all of that fully recognizing that, um, mostly cause I just wanted a share of Gabe Davis, but you know, he's already moved twice in our league. Uh, this was in the show league the last 24 hours, so maybe we can move him a third time. What do y'all think? Oh, we definitely <laughs> can. Definitely. Yeah. He ain't coming my way. Maybe you can get a first for him, Tarek. I know that's true. Well, I don't think that's true, but I know he's not coming toward Mitch. Sorry, so, the, the market's uh, been I, set. You're not getting a first. <laughs> <laughs> I won't ask. All right, so uh, that wraps up Gabe Davis. Obviously, the most exciting kind of individual performance of the weekend outside of the quarterbacks in that game, probably. Um, but um, Byron Pringle is the next guy we're going to talk about. So naturally, we go from a really exciting and intriguing player to a guy who currently on keep trade cut is outside of the top 90 wide receivers. But, you know, we can use this as an opportunity. Pringle has scored three touchdowns in his two playoff games on 14 targets with only 66 yards to back it up. So by the raw stats, you know, for the Gabe Davis faders, here's a good thing. You know, Pringle had a similar statistical season to Gabe Davis this year, 60 targets, 42 receptions, 568 yards, and five touchdowns. Now, the difference, of course, is Byron Pringle was an undrafted player out of Kansas State back in 2018, and he is already 28 years old. So, I mean, look, Dynasty players have been chasing the Chiefs wide receiver two for years now, and I think it's probably a fool's errand. But it is potentially notable that Patrick Mahomes has been spreading the ball around a bit more down the stretch here. So, Mitch, is there any smoke to Byron Pringle here? And if you want to use this as an opportunity to just talk about Chiefs secondary pass catchers more generally, that's fine, too. Any any smoke to Pringle? I, I smoked a Pringle, man. <laughs> you ever you ever use a Pringles can as a bong? 
<laughs> no, I haven't. Have you? Uh, no, dude. <laughs> but just like just like Pringles, uh, Pringles throw them in the trash, dude. No, but but seriously, you're you're high out of your mind if you think Pringles are good. No, no, seriously. Um, I, I'm just not a fan of those stale ass potato chips with those little green tennis ball hairs. Just uh, okay, Byron Pringle for real. Um, <laughs> he's got upside. It, it's not in Dynasty though. He, he's got upside in your DraftKings lineup. He's crushing it in my postseason fantasy team. Uh, he's just a guy on this offense. You won't find me rostering in Dynasty. His name, his name isn't Tyree Kill. It's not Travis Kelsey. Those two eat the meal, the rest nibble at the scraps, right? So, yeah. like you said, it's kind of a fool. The Pringles, they nibble at the Pringles, <laughs> yes, if you will. The, the, the crumbs <laughs> at the bottom of the Pringle can. Yes, I misspoke. Slash there. bong. Yeah, <laughs> but, but, okay, guys, um, you said it's a fool's errand chasing the, the Chiefs wide receiver, too. I don't think it's always going to be. I really don't. But the current core, like the Mecole Hardman, Demarcus Robinson, those are all just guys. But eventually they're going to need to replace Tyreek and Kelsey because Mahomes is going to outplay both of those dudes. So one day there's going to be a wide receiver that you want to target. And I'm not saying never target the that wide receiver too, but the guys that they got right now, no fucking way. Well, uh, Cornell Powell, the uh, rookie from Clemson, got his uh, touchdown this weekend. So uh, props to him for uh, making some noise as well. But uh, no, it was just interesting looking back at uh, Pringle's uh, value over the last year because he was up to wide receiver 98 on Keep Trade Cut when I checked, which is actually the highest at any point uh, over the last year that his value has reached. So, you know, if you have him on your team, then you probably picked him off, off the waiver wire. And if you could maybe like do Pringle plus a fourth to get a third round pick in return, then <laughs> I mean, go for it, you know? Yeah, great trade. Trey did <laughs> right, right? try that on me today, and I hit decline yeah. very fast. Yeah, I'm still waiting for John to get back to me on that one. But uh, no, I mean, otherwise, you can just wait at this point because, like, you know, the Chiefs are going to have to keep slinging it to keep up with Cincinnati this weekend. So who knows? Maybe he scores another touchdown again, and, you know, that price keeps going up. But, uh, I mean, he's an obvious sell candidate. These are not the kind of guys that you should be targeting or going after for your dynasty team, like bottom line. I did not decline your trade, your trade offer, uh, Trey, because I wanted to say on air that th- I didn't even know we had fifth round picks to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> and when you offered me Byron Pringle and a fifth for my fourth, I said, you know what? I'd rather keep the roster spot. Thank you though. <laughs> it uh, was the 401, it, right? I, I yeah, it was. Yeah, and yeah, and yeah. that's gonna be that's gonna be something special. I gotta hold on to that. Pick thirty seven in our upcoming rookie draft. Okay, yeah. Look, we don't really need to talk about Byron Pringle that much. I mean, I, I agree with y'all. He's he's mainly a roster clog. Like if you can leverage him into a higher pick, whatever. I think probably you can't. So at best, he's probably gonna be a cut down candidate once you draft those rookies. Well, I so. think he's a he's a free agent anyway, so there's no guarantee he's a chief next year anyhow. True, true. Okay. All right. Well, I was hoping it might turn into a conversation about secondary pass catchers. And, uh, but yeah, like Mitch said, if Mike Williams or Allen Robinson signs there, then, you know, that's potentially interesting. Completely but, different conversation, though. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. All right. So we're going to stick with Kansas City for this next player. Um, and Kansas City, they're going to their fourth straight AFC championship with Patrick Mahomes. But let's talk about the backfield because. Jarek McKinnon is actually the one currently making the most noise there. 
McKinnon played 78% of snaps in the wild card round. And then when uh, Clyde Edwards Alaire came back for the divisional game with no limitations, according to the coaching staff, McKinnon retained 68% of the snaps. So while Jarek McKinnon has looked good as a receiver in these playoffs, he's got 135 yards and a touchdown on 13 targets over two games. Clyde Edwards Alaire has looked pretty bursty to me on his limited opportunities on Sunday. He took seven carries uh, for 60 yards and looked sudden on a few of those long runs. So Trey, while McKinnon highlights the segment as the playoff Vuvuzela here, give me mm-hmm. a sense of what you think, even in, uh, sorry, uh, Mitch, you fucked me sorry. up. Stop doing the Vuvuzela thing. Uh, Trey, while McKinnon highlights the segment as the quote-unquote playoff Vuvuzela, give me a sense of what you think his high snap share, even in Clyde Edwards-Alaire's return, means for the dynasty prospects of the Kansas City backfield more generally. Yeah, so if you look at the value on uh, Edwards-Alaire the last couple of days, he's down to running back 24 on keep trade cuts. So I do think that the high usage that McKinnon is getting is definitely scaring some people. Uh, but I mean, that's also like about the range that he's been in most of the season too. He's been up and down between there and like uh, 13 or 14 or so. But the the thing that's strange to me is like during the regular season and, and the playoffs here, the Chiefs have not used Edwards Alaire as the pass catching back that we kind of mm-hmm. thought he was coming out of LSU. You know, they've, they've deferred to Darrell Williams during the season. And then now in the playoffs, they're using Jarek McKinnon in that pass catching role. So I mean, if I had Edwards Alaire on my roster anywhere, which I I don't anymore, Congrats. Um, then I would definitely be I would definitely be looking to sell. Uh, I mean, his value is still in the range of a late first round uh, pick right now, so uh, I like that value if you can get it. Um, I also have talked about how much I like Leonard Fournette on this pod. Uh, you could probably flip Edwards Alaire for Fournette plus a third rounder. Uh, so you know, I, I like that one, uh, but. Both McKinnon and Darrell Williams are on one-year deals and are going to be free agents after the year. So it's really not clear who's going to be the number two back in this offense going into next season. But uh, I've, this is also something I've talked about before. I like the handcuff in the Chiefs offense. So whoever ends up coming back for next year, that's a guy that I will probably have on a lot of rosters. Exactly, man. And I have a question for you guys to back that up. Has the offense looked any different with any of these running backs? Has Clyde really made a difference on this team? No, I mean, arguably, Darrell Williams has looked better than Clyde Edwards-Alaire when he's in the in the yeah, game. Yeah, agreed. Exactly. So, so with that said, why do we still value him as a late first, like smash sell? The guys that are in his range, like you mentioned, Trey, DeAndre Hopkins, Fryermuth, uh, Amari Cooper, like, go get him. Go get one of those guys while you still have some value with Clyde Edwards Elaire. Like this offense goes through Mahomes. It's Patrick Mahomes. And if if uh Jarek McKinnon's catching the ball better, then he's gonna be the guy on offense. Like the Chiefs are using uh Clyde Edwards Elaire as much as they should be, which is whatever they need, which isn't much from him. Yeah, it's a limited ceiling role for sure. John, what do you think? I'm going to I'm going to be the contrarian here because uh you're you I'm looking at keep trade cut right here and uh Clyde Edwards-Alaire right above it's the 2022 late first and you know what you're not getting with a late 2022 first you're not getting the only running back that's under contract with the Chiefs next year uh I, I that's a guarantee like he's going to be 
a running back for the Chiefs next year, a very good high-powered offensive team. And even if he's getting 50%, I think that's where the NFL is going, right? Like we're going to a bunch of, we're going to committee approaches. So I don't, I still think that the discount is there. I don't think he's looked that bad. Uh, is he an RB2? Yeah, but I don't think you're getting an RB2 with a 2022 late first. So I think, you know, he's a hold. John, let me price. challenge Let me challenge you on that, man, because what you're essentially saying is you can get the lead back in a good offense for a late first. And if you want the lead back in a good offense, go after a guy like James Conner last year, you know, who cost like two thirds, you know, so there's much cheaper guys like in that kind of archetype that you could target if, if that's sort of what you want to go after. Totally agree. What I'm advocating is to not sell if he's already on your squad, because I don't think you're going to get an improvement at running back at that draft pick. Well, and OK, but. That's also assuming I'm going to actually make that pick and then not, you know, turn around and trade yeah, it. Of course. Uh, it's also assuming now, right? that you want a running back there. You know, you can draft right. a receiver, or a quarterback. If right? you're yeah. if you're if you're rich with running backs, then by all means, sell and take a, a wide receiver there, because I think that's a great move. OK, Mike check. It is halftime. So none of our Super Bowl matchup picks from last week are intact anymore, but all of us do still have one team remaining. So me and Mitch had the Rams making it. Trey had the Chiefs and John had the Bengals winning it all. So, John, I might have to place a Bengals Super Bowl futures bet in your honor. I think I think you all read it wrong last week. I didn't bet on the Bengals. I bet on Joe Burrow to win the Super Bowl. But I yeah, I appreciate okay. that. Go ahead and make that bet for me. Okay, well, being that Joe Burrow plays for the Bengals. Well, he does play without an offensive line, so I mean, (laughs) (laughs) all right, I see what you're doing. We have something to root for, I guess. This week for halftime, I'm going to keep it simple, guys. I want you to pick any bet for championship weekend that you would lock in if you lived in a cool state like me in Illinois. So this could be a spread. It could be a money line. It could be a prop bet. It could even be a wacky parlay, whatever you want. And I'll, I'll get us started. So what I'm going to do is a two-leg parlay of the Rams money line against the 49ers. So just for them to win outright and Cam Akers under 59 and a half rushing yards. So I think the Rams will win a close game. So I'm not really comfortable taking the spread, but I don't think Akers is going to have much success on the ground against that San Francisco front. And you also might see Sony Michelle more involved after Akers put it on the ground twice last week in really high leverage situations. So having a slightly contradictory parlay like that, where the Rams win, but Cam Akers doesn't succeed, that allows you to kind of squeeze some juice into the odds. And on FanDuel, uh, where I place my bets, that parlay spits out plus 269 odds. And I think that's pretty solid. So that's what I'm going with. Trey, what you got? All right. So this isn't a parlay. This is just uh, this is just a pick them against the spread. But uh, I, I agree with you. I do think the Rams win that game, but I'm more confident in them covering that three and a half point uh, difference at home. And the reason is, is I just think the Rams are going to be a big problem for San Francisco. Uh, they are a much better team all around than either uh, the Dallas Cowboys or the Green Bay Packers. And look, I know the Rams had some trouble finishing the game against San Francisco in week 18. They blew a 17 point lead and ended up losing that game in overtime. And then we also saw them last week against Tampa Bay have trouble finishing that game in the second half. And I just think that they're going to, you know, take those experiences, learn from them, be motivated and take care of business against uh the division rivals. So yeah, I really like the Rams covering three and a half at home. I probably would have taken them as seven point favorites, to be honest. 
Oh, wow. wow. Okay. Well, I like that it feeds into my bet. So, John, uh, let's go to you next. What's your lock? I do not live in a cool state like you, but I do live in a state that allows me to use underdog. So I, uh, I've i took two underdog pick em bets. So if you don't use underdog, if you pick two, uh, you get three times your money. So these are two that I think are locks. Uh, and since I'm a bad gambler, which has been documented well on this pod, I uh, took two players that I like and just pick them. So uh, my one of my the players I took was Jamar Chase. And on underdog right now, he's 87.5 rush plus receiving yards. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to take the over on that. And the reason being, Jamar Chase has gone for over 100 yards rushing and receiving both weeks of the playoffs. And I expect the same to happen this week against the Chiefs secondary that left a lot to be desired against Josh Allen last week. And there's uh, we, we might be missing the Honey Badger as well. That's yet to be determined, but not looking great right now. The second one that I picked was Debo, and they've got Debo at 4.5 receptions. So while Debo has been the focal point of the 49ers offense at times, he hasn't had more than four receptions in over a month. The last time he did it was in December against the Titans. Remember that one, Mitch? No. He had, he had nine for over 100 yards? No? Don't remember? Okay, whatever. I, uh, the... I remember the score, and unfortunately that was it, though. <laughs> <laughs> Well, okay, so the rushing games where he's been making a lot of noise, uh, I'm going to trust my instincts on this one, and I'm going to take the under on Debo getting 4.5 receptions against the stingy Rams defense. Okay, Mitch, why don't you close it out with your bet of the week? Sounds like we're all on Team Rams here. Uh, I'm going to stick with my Super Bowl prediction from the NFC. We'll stick with the Rams here. I took them on the money line. I'm not as bold as Trey, it seems. Uh, I... Three and a half to me is always dicey. I, I think one team could win by a field goal very easily. But my focus is more on Odell Beckham Jr. His over, I'm taking the over 50 and a half, and I'm taking a touchdown from OBJ as well anytime. The yardage for me, uh, that, that seems like an easy over. His last two games, he's covered that. Last game, he had six receptions, 69 yards. Nice. And the touchdown, he's had six uh, what out of the last nine games, six touchdowns, nice as well. So uh, I think the odds are in my favor on this one. Uh, if you parlay all three of those together, it's four times your money. So twenty five wins a hundred, and lock it in. Okay, all right. I love the Rams love because I got Rams money line against the Forty ers as well as Cam Akers under fifty nine and a half rushing yards in a parlay. Uh, Trey's going with the Rams to cover that three and a half point spread at home in SoFi. John's got two underdog pick'em bets: Jamar Chase over eighty-seven and a half rush and receiving yards, and Debo Samuel under four and a half receptions. And Mitch, Rams love OBJ over fifty and a half receiving yards, anytime touchdown by OBJ, and that Rams money line. So I guess we are mostly Rams fans this weekend, but that will do it for halftime. Let's kick off this second half. We're talking three more playoff noisemakers than Vuvuzelas. And the first guy we're going to talk about here is Rob Gronkowski. Old man Gronk is going to turn 33 this offseason. So, you know, just two years older than me. So old in two playoff games uh, without Godwin and Antonio Brown, of course. Gronk turned in 116 yards and a touchdown on a healthy 17 targets. 
Gronk only played in 11 full games this year, and he was able to turn in 800 yards and six touchdowns and 2.17 yards per route run, which is really good for a tight end. His 14.3 points per game was good for the number three tight end, and that's even hurt a little bit by his week eight game when he only played 8% of the snap. So bottom line, Gronk was Gronk when he was on the field at 32. His age and uncertainty about his future has depressed his value, though, down to tight end 18 on keep trade cut. So, John, with the rumblings of Tom Brady potentially retiring and the assumption that Gronk probably follows suit, if that happens, big if, how are you looking at Gronk early this offseason? Are you staying away? Are you selling if you have shares? Are you are you trying to buy the uncertainty? Uh, the last time you asked me about a trade today, the last time you asked me about a trade was like a, long, a few weeks ago, and it was because Mitch and I had traded, and I Mitch, I traded away Gronk for John U. Smith. Now I'm kind of looking at these rankings, and John U. Smith is currently on keep trade cut uh Tight end twenty nine, so it looks like I might have <laughs> I, I might have cut bait a little early there. But th- th- where I'm at with Gronk is I'd rather be a little too early than a little too late. I honestly believe he's not playing football next year. He just wanted to play with Brady these two years. Now technically Brady's under contract next year. I don't know. I, I'm not. I'm not making that bet. And even if Brady's playing, I'm not. Gonna, I'm not willing to make the bet that Gronk's going to follow him. Uh, if he stays in t- Tampa Bay or if he goes somewhere else, I, I just I'm done and I'm going to take with the value I can. I don't even feel about take, taking bad. I don't feel bad about taking John U. Smith a few weeks back. At least I was able to recover some value. Uh, and I, I that's what I'd recommend for everybody to do at this point. I'd rather be too early than too late. Yeah. Yeah. John, I, I wouldn't have uh, traded for uh, John U. if I were you. But uh, <laughs> look, I, I do totally agree with you that uh, it's better to be a year too early than a, instead of a year too late here. And even if you're in a tight end premium league, if you can get a mid second rounder for Gronk right now, I think that's the right move to do. Now, that said, it's possible that your league mates are, you know, listening to the news and a little spooked out right now. So if nobody's going to give you like a second rounder for Gronk, then you might as well hold until, you know, the situation sorts it out. But if somebody's willing to pay that mid second price, then completely agree. Uh, go ahead and cash out now. Oh, guys, I am so on the other side of this. I'm going to go ahead and get my Gronk shares <laughs> right now. I, I, I preached it last year. I'm going to do it again. He just said today, too, if I had to make a decision today, I'm going to lean towards retirement. Get, love to see that. Um, but you have to take it somewhat seriously, right? Because Gronk has retired before. But there's that human element to the game and that narrative that I'm just going to dive right into Brady ain't going out like that. Brady's coming back, man. And I think he's running it back with Gronk. And if it does happen, like we're talking about risk versus reward here. We're talking about a third or what a late second or a couple third, uh, third round draft picks. And, uh, he was what tight end three this year, like points per game. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm sorry, but the tight end market is still dry. And if I have a shot at tight end three for basically nothing, I'm gonna gonna get in there now because like you said, people are scared. Keep trade cut has him at 18. Like that is so cheap. The second he says he's coming back, like that is skyrocketing back up for the one year rental. Yeah, now now I didn't never said two thirds, okay? Uh but <laughs> um <laughs> and look, I get what you're saying. Uh I mean, I think the risk is a little bit too high. I think there's a very strong risk that they're not uh, running it back next year, so and it's not even about running it back at this point. Now we're talking about a 33-year-old tight end. We're, we're talking about the edge of the age cliff. And just because it hasn't happened yet doesn't mean it's not coming because we all know it's coming in the next year 
or so. Yeah, look, I, in a league that uh, me, John, and Trey are in, I actually traded Trey, Irv Smith, and a second-round pick for Rob Gronkowski ahead of the playoffs because, you know, I wanted to make a push. And I'm a big believer in grinding for 10 months so that you can pay up, you know, selectively, have some selective overpays. And I knew it was an overpay at the time. Obviously, I wouldn't pay that right now, but um, I don't feel bad about it. So, you know, if I have to take that value loss and he retires, then that's fine. You know, I, I gave it a good college try. But um, yeah, I I don't know. I th- I'm, I'm kind of with both of y'all here. I think if you want to buy the uncertainty, completely legitimate. If you want to sell for a second, if you can get it, also completely legitimate, right? We talked about those second round picks earlier with Gabe Davis. You know, they they can be useful down the stretch here as we get into the offseason. Uh, let's move on to the second guy in the second half of playoff Vuvuzelas, and that's Deontay Foreman. Deontay Foreman, man, we referenced him before on a previous show a couple times, but what a renaissance year for him. Uh, Foreman, he really only had four carries in the game against the Bengals, but he had that one big run, so he finished with 66 yards. And that big run didn't come out of nowhere. You know, he's made a handful of those plays down the stretch here where he's shown off some reasonably impressive long speed for his 230 pound frame. So since he started getting opportunities after Derek uh, Henry went down ahead of week nine, Foreman put together a few nice weekly performances. David Zach's adjusted uh, yards created per touch metric had Foreman performing really well relative to the other backs in the league. And I think that bears out on tape. Um, now, he's an unrestricted free agent and he's going to turn 26 this offseason. So, Mitch, uh, to me, it seems he's done enough to get a backup job somewhere in the league. And there's a chance, a very small chance perhaps, but it seemed like Miami or Atlanta signs him to be the leader in a committee. So what do you think of Deontay Foreman as somebody who watched him very closely this year? I thought he looked excellent in his Derrick Henry impersonation role this year. And in fact, that run uh, last game against the Bengals, I literally thought it was Henry at first because that was just a great, great run. Um, And like you said, he's been doing that all season. He's gotten better as the year went on. He looked shaky at first, but... The fact that uh, he's coming off the Achilles a couple years back and that Cam Akers is coming off the Achilles, like, this is great. Like, I no longer give a shit about uh, a player tearing their Achilles. This is great news for that. But uh, you asked if he could become a leader of a committee. I I, I don't really think so. And if so, that's going to drive his value up a little too high. But I think, honestly, his best... Uh, or the best thing for him would probably be to re-sign in Tennessee mm-hmm. and back up Henry because, let's face it, guys, Henry has a fucking plate in his foot. Like, the, I've said it before, the, the 30 carry games are coming to an end, and they're going to have to spell him with somebody. And I think that uh, Foreman has absolutely earned at least a little bit of the share here. So if he goes elsewhere, I, I think he's going to be a good committee guy as well. Um but keep trade cut still has him at running back 52 and that's far too low. So yeah. um, if, if he's still at 52, go, go buy Foreman because like his situation can either stay the same or, well, I, I can't see it really getting much worse because he's earned at least some piece of some pie. Yeah. Yeah. Mitch, I completely agree with you. I think at 52, that's a great value. Uh, I think that's a buy no matter where he ends up, whether it's uh, Tennessee or somewhere else. 
Uh, that's currently a high third round pick range. Uh, if that value did end up creeping up into like the low mid thirties, if he was like the lead back of a committee, that's like J Rob James Connor range. And so I'm probably out if he gets that high, Yeah, but you know, he's clearly a talented backup. He's clearly the best like uh running back two that Tennessee has. So I think it would make a lot of sense for them to bring him back uh, to back up Henry. But Look, I, I just think that a guy like Foreman is a cheap backup with a lot of upside. That's exactly who you want on your bench. Yep. And yes. I would not really be willing to pay if he, you know, creeped up into that, you know, uh, running back dead zone range like J. Rob or James Conner. And just for some context here, we said running back 52 on keep trade cut. That's approximately the same as an early third. Right. In 2022. So we've kind of talked about this privately. I'm not sure we've talked about it a lot on the show, but uh, the strategy in that third round is like, let's take some handcuffed running backs that have a shot to do it. Mm-hmm. Now, that's that's exactly what you're doing if you go get him, because uh, he could end up being the guy at some point next season. So, uh, yeah, if that's the shot you want to take, I think that's a good gamble and it's a worthwhile investment right now. Yeah, let's let's remind people. Yeah, well, Ramondre Stevenson last year, uh, right. guys like Elijah Mitchell were available at that pick uh, mm-hmm. this time a year ago. Right. So look, guys ahead of him on keep trade cut in the running back rankings: Miles Gaskin, Keyshawn Vaughn, Trey Sermon. Um, yeah, no, give me Deontay yeah, Foreman all over all three of those guys. I don't know about Gaskin. Yeah, fuck Gaskin. You don't know about Gaskin. I might take Gaskin over Foreman. Gaskin's going to be playing football next year. You're out of your mind, Trey. (laughs) A couple of y'all said this. He's the kind of player you want on your bench. So a roster clogger we talked about earlier was Byron Pringle, right? So if you can turn Byron Pringle in a third, you know, a late third into Deontay Foreman or something like that. Yeah. If you can churn a, a, a dart through a wide receiver into a handcuff running back, you do that every time. You know, we've talked about that on the pod multiple times so try to turn those really deep dart throw wide receivers into handcuff running backs on your dynasty what about teams like cedric wilson you know somebody like that yeah i'd be comfortable sending cedric wilson away for deontay foreman for sure yeah i think yeah. so too isn't he the wide receiver one for the cowboys <laughs> he wears number one that's why dak throws it to no him no play. john you're uh confusing him with uh dalton schultz oh my mistake my mistake <laughs> honest mistake All right. Well, on that note, let's uh, move on to our final player that we're going to talk about here. Uh, A guy who's been making a lot of noise in the playoffs and Uh it's another running back. Mitch, dude, (laughs) it's another running back coming off of an Achilles tear, except instead of a 2017 injury, this one happened six months ago. And that player is, of course, Cam Akers. I referenced in the coin toss that Cam Akers has been struggling to get yards on the ground. But to be fair, he's played some really solid rush D in Arizona and Tampa Bay, and things are not going to get much easier against San Francisco. But he's averaged just 2.3 yards per carry since he returned from injury in week 18. But what's encouraging is Cam Akers' touch share. So he went from 26.6% of running back touches in week 18 to 54.5% in the wild card round to a very surprising 90% of touches last weekend against the Bucks. And despite the poor efficiency, I think we've seen some plays that indicate that he looks like, a, you know, an explosive player again. The 40-yard reception, you know, a run here or there. It's encouraging stuff. But 
Trey, this isn't a player that you can get on the cheap anymore by any means. He's basically recouped 95% of his pre-injury dynasty value all the way up to running back eight on keep trade cut. So what are you thinking about Cam Akers here? Yeah, so that value recovery on keep trade cut is exactly why you invest in running backs like Cam Akers immediately post-injury because it's basically a guarantee that that value is going to recover as soon as they come back and they're playing again and they show that potential that we thought they had, right? So I know why we were freaking out when he kill, uh, when he tore the Achilles, because that is a really scary injury, or at least it has been in the past. But as Mitch uh, just mentioned, talking about Deonta Foreman, it's clearly not the same injury outlook that it was, you know, 10 years ago, right? So look, you know, you mentioned he was a little bit inefficient. I'm not worried about a little rust in his first two or three games back. Uh, the usage is super encouraging. He had 24 carries and three targets last week. And as we mentioned in the, you know, the intro, this is money time, right? This is the playoffs. So this shows the Rams believe in the talent there. So it, as a top 10 running back right now, it's kind of hard to say that he's like a strong buy, but I do think that he could return some nice value next year. And the reason is, is because after you get out of that top three or four at the running back position, I do think it's like pretty murky in that big second or third tier there, right? Because, you know, you've got like Jonathan Taylor's clearly number one, right? And then after that, it's like Najee Harris, Javante Williams, DeAndre Swift, Christian McCaffrey, right? They're all kind of like in that two through five range. And, you know, for example, if you take a guy like Javante Williams, he's currently ranked above Akers. But I think it's like totally feasible that Akers could easily outproduce Javante Williams next year. He's going to get more usage, most likely. He's probably going to get more touchdowns and, you know, a higher scoring offense. And they're similar talent levels and similar, you know, profiles in the passing game. So there, there's a window of opportunity for Akers to improve on that six to eight ranking that he's at right now. So if you've got him, I'm, you know, definitely hold him. I'm, I'm holding where I've got him and, you know, really excited for Cam Akers, uh, you know, seeing what he's been able to do in such an incredibly short time frame. Well, I I wrote sell down a lot. Oh, I'm no, like a, just sell, no. sell, 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 sell. And I, I'm kind of with you in some regard. Like, despite his shitty average and his fumbles and all of his uh, playoff mishaps, he's looked really juicy. Like, he's he definitely looks like he's got the juice and he looks fast and... He's eager to be out there and his motor is turning and he just kind of needs to chill out a little bit, but uh, he'll get plenty of time in the offseason. But I, I think that he's shown enough to justify that RB six, seven, eight. But man, I don't know if he keeps if he keeps messing around and loses some trust in Sean McVay. I, I can see them going committee next year, like next man up style like they did this year. And I, I, I'm just, I don't think I'm going to have any Cam Akers shares going into 2022 because this seems a little too high. And I think the value right now, just from the eye test, people seeing him play in the playoffs, like this might be your best time to move this guy. Yeah, I think you make a good point there, Mitch. Uh, Henderson is under contract next year. He's not going anywhere. Cam Akers is still the guy out there. I don't think there's any doubt about that, but if he's on your roster, yeah, hold him. Congratulations. But he's, he's kind of in that that zone that's like untouchable at this point. Like if he's not currently on your roster, are you really willing to sell the barn to get a guy who's coming off an Achilles injury? Uh, I, I'm not sure that I'm willing. I mean, I am sure I'm not willing to do that. Not for a running back. 
Uh, so congratulations if you have him. Uh, I wouldn't sell him either, uh, like Trey, but I also would not be in the market to be trying to get him on my roster. I think what I'm extracting from all three of you, and I would agree, is that he's not a strong buy right now yeah. by any means, yeah. right? I do think the median kind of decision is to hold here, but I would sell Cam Akers if I can get a quarterback who's experiencing a little bit of a depression in value right now, like Kyler Murray or Lamar Jackson. Like I would transition positions in that way. I would also probably sell Cam Akers for an AJ Brown or a DK Metcalf just to kind of invest in elite asset that has much less risk and a longer runway at that position. Um, but you know, you could argue against that because running back is such a, a more scarce and kind of desirable high leverage position. So I think I can see situations in which you would hold or sell. Don't see a lot of situations in which you could buy. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like I mentioned, I, I do think it's hard to, to say he's a buy as well. You know, there's a little bit of a window, right? There's, there's definitely some upside there in that price, you know, in that six to eight range. But, uh, you know, I, I agree that, you know, it's, it's definitely more hold. Uh, I, I, I am not on board with selling if you're going to get into like another running back in that range. But yeah, if you want to get into like a safer asset, then, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm okay with that. Like, especially the quarterbacks and the receivers you mentioned. I mean, if we want to talk running backs, I would probably sell for Saquon Barkley and a piece, but um, that's a conversation for another time. Um, so let me just really quickly recap the six players that we talked about for this playoff Vuvuzela's episode. Give me another one, Mish. Uh, Go for it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, Gabriel Davis, uh, Byron uh, Pringle. Okay. You, you don't know when to stop. That's the issue is you don't know when to stop hammering <laughs> the joke. you got to know the line. I give you a little window right. and then you just keep hammering If you it, give a so. mouse a cookie. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Gabriel Davis, Byron Pringle, Jarek McKinnon slash the Kansas City backfield, Rob Gronkowski, Deontay Foreman, and Cam Akers. All these players have been making noise. All of it opens up opportunities for you to gain an edge on your league mates. But that does it for episode 41 of the Long Game Dynasty podcast. We'll see y'all next week. Adios. All right, guys. Goodbye. Goodbye.